The Sermons of St. Francis de Sales for Advent and Christmas. Continuing his sermon for the second Sunday of Advent, John the Baptist sends his disciples to Jesus. Why did our Lord not praise his precursor, St. John the Baptist, in the presence of his disciples? Our ancient fathers say that there were two reasons for this. First, because these good disciples were too attached to their master. They were captivated by him, and their esteem was so great as to prefer him to Jesus Christ. Obviously, they loved St. John greatly and had no need of our Lord's praising him in their presence, for there was danger of their valuing him more highly than the Savior. This is why this divine wisdom said nothing about him in their presence. The other reason was because our divine master was no flatterer. If he had praised St. John, they might have thought he did it through flattery, so that it might be brought back to him by his two disciples. This was very foreign to our dear Savior's spirit. He is truth itself. The human spirit of John's disciples might also have added a little something on the subject. That is why he who sees all knew what could happen and did not praise him in the presence of his disciples. But when they had departed, he asked the Jews, What did you go out to the desert to see? Consider this man whom you have seen, or rather this angel clothed in human form. You have found in him not a reed, but a firm rock, a man possessed of unshakable stability in the midst of all sorts of changing circumstances. This is the most agreeable and desirable virtue in the spiritual life. You did not see a reed, for St. John is the same in adversity as in prosperity, the same in prison amidst persecutions as in the desert amidst applause, as joyous in the winter of trouble as in the springtime of peace. He fulfilled the same role in prison as he did in the desert. We, on the contrary, are forever changing. We vary according to time and season. There are some people so changeable that when the weather is fine, nothing can equal their joy. But when stormy, nothing can equal their depression. Such people who are fervent, prompt, and optimistic in prosperity will be weak, depressed, and disheartened in adversity. It would then take heaven and earth to restore them to peace. And ordinarily, even then, all our efforts are useless. You will find others who want only happy times because at such times they do marvels, or so it seems to them. Others prefer adversity. Tribulation, they say, keeps them close to God. In short, we are spiritually fickle and really do not know what we want. There are some who, when in consolation, cannot be restrained, but when sad, cannot be consoled. When we contradict them in nothing, they are so strong and do such marvels. But if we touch them, if we contradict them in the slightest thing, all is lost. It is so difficult for us to be receptive even to the littlest thing which is contrary to our liking, that our peace of soul cannot be restored until long afterwards, and many salves must be used. What a shame that we are so inconstant. Surely there is no stability in us. And yet, this is the most essential quality for the spiritual life. We are reeds, tossed about in every direction 
by every mood and humor. I shall finish by applying to the glorious St. Ambrose, the first vespers of whose feast we are celebrating today, what our Lord said in reference to St. John the Baptist. You have not seen a reed in the desert. You should have a special devotion to St. Ambrose, because he was St. Augustine's spiritual father. In his confessions, St. Augustine tells us that not only St. Ambrose's learned preaching, but especially his meekness and gentleness stole his heart away. It is related in one of his biographies that while he was yet an infant, a swarm of bees formed a honeycomb on his lips, thus predicting a gentle and meek future for him. If we were to ask this glorious saint, Who are you? Without doubt he would reply, Relate what you have seen and heard. Relate that you have seen a man gentle, charitable, and zealous for God's glory, a vigilant pastor, in short, a man perfect in every virtue, and one who performs carefully all the duties of his office, having the two natures of his soul so well ordered that there is nothing of hatred in him except for sin, and nothing of love except for the love of our dear Savior. Although he was extremely gentle and merciful, he was also very severe in punishing and reproving what was deserving of reprehension, never permitting himself to flinch before any consideration whatever. What zeal did he not display in his treatment of the Emperor Theodosius, refusing him entrance into the church and speaking with great severity to him, never wavering until the Emperor had confessed his fault? And he, when he was reminded that it was an emperor he was reprehending, he testified that he regarded only God's glory. At the time of this incident, some reminded Ambrose of King David's fault. Ah, indeed, he answered, you speak to me of David's fault, but you make no mention of his penitence. If the emperor wishes to do as he did, the doors of the church will be open to him. Otherwise, no. And he showed indeed that without regard for king or emperor, he would remain firm in the exercise of his office. Relate then what you have seen and heard, for the fame of this great saint spread everywhere, so that very learned and experienced men came from great distances to hear his doctrine. How true it is that man is known by his works, so if we want to know what we are, we must look into our actions, reforming what is not good and perfecting what is, so that in imitating these two glorious saints in their virtues, we may enjoy with them the glory of heaven. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Sermon 2 The Great Humility of St. John the Baptist Sermon for the Third Sunday of Advent, December 13, 1620. Who are you? And he confessed and did not deny. And he confessed, I am not the Christ. John chapter 1, verses 19 to 20. If we are to judge by every art, business, and profession, we will have to confess that the principal and most powerful temptations are those to ambition, pride, and arrogance. Lucifer used them to tempt our first parents. 
It is said that ambition is the worst of them all, since it caused him to stumble from heaven into hell. Knowing from his own experience what powerful allurements pride and ambition are, he used them to tempt our first parents by offering them the forbidden fruit with such arrogance that they were sure that by eating it they would be like God. He did not tell them that they would be God's equal, for who is like God? It is impossible to be God's equal, and if the miserable wretch had tempted Adam and Eve in that way, they would easily have recognized his deception, for being still in original justice, they were greatly gifted with perception and knowledge. This is why he said to them, You will be like God. And how would they be like God? In eating this fruit, they would, like God, know good and evil. Now this ambition so puffed up their pride that they actually presumed to share in divine wisdom and knowledge and allowed themselves to be seduced by the tempter. In this way, they forfeited original justice. Reflecting on the cause of the fall of Lucifer and the other angels, some theologians say it was due to a certain spiritual self-complacency, which, through an awareness of their angelic nature's grandeur and excellence, caused such self-pride that they desired with insupportable arrogance to be like God and to place their thrones on an equality with His. Others maintained that envy was the cause of their fall. They knew that the Lord would create human beings, that He willed to enrich human nature, and that further, He would actually communicate Himself to this nature, incarnating and uniting Himself to it in hypostatic union, in such a manner that these two natures would form only one person. Knowing this, they were moved with envy, they were upset that the Creator planned to elevate human nature above theirs and said among themselves, If God desires to go out of Himself so as to communicate Himself to another, why does He not choose an angelic and seraphic nature for this communication? Is it not far nobler and more excellent than the other? From that moment on, they were filled with jealousy, ambition, and pride. And finally, stumbled miserably. But to what purpose do I say all this, except to contrast it with and exalt the humility of St. John the Baptist, who is one of the persons who took part in the mystery of the visitation, and whose humility, it seems to me, is the most excellent and the most perfect that has ever been after that of our Lord and the most sacred virgin? there was presented to him the strongest and most violent temptation imaginable to pride and ambition. But notice, I beg you, that it was not presented to him in person by the enemy, and that it did not come from him directly. When an enemy is discovered, or we see that a temptation comes from an adversary, we immediately become suspicious of whatever he says or whatever he urges us to do. Why? because it is suggested to us by our enemy, and therefore is not to be trusted. This has been taken from The Sermons of St. Francis de Sales for Advent and Christmas, translated by Nuns of the Visitation, and edited by Father Louis S. Fiorelli, OSFS. 
Published in 1987 by Tan Books and Publishers Incorporated, Rockford, Illinois, and aired with permission of the publisher. This book may be purchased online at www.tanbooks.com or by calling toll-free 1-800-437-5876.